Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, coming to you from Cat Swamp Road in New Jersey. <clears throat> and hopefully things are going well on your farm and ranch operation. And if you hear something, it's the kittens. They're not outside at the moment. Then they're uh, full of pep and vinegar, and they're fighting so with each other it's really uh it they're it, then boy they could really hit them yeah ha, I, hannah and creamy creamsicle are wrestling and samuel is on the one of the extra desk chairs getting ready to go to sleep so i'm hoping that the others are getting ready to conk out also because they've been going fairly strong since about uh, 6 30 this morning and it's a little bit after 10 o'clock in the morning now when I'm recording this, so about four hours of uh, full bore. And uh, sa- uh, cream, Creamsicle Creamy is chasing Hannah around. <clears throat> and so the three of them, if you haven't gleaned, is cre- Creamsicle, Hannah, and Samuel. And Hannah and Samuel are both biblical names from the book of Samuel. So uh, Hannah was the mother of Samuel. If you do not know that story, it's a wonderful story. And um, Hannah was, was, was barren. She had no children. And she cried to the Lord that she could have a child, a man-child, as they would say in the Old Testament, in uh, the King James Version. And she was, oh, she, I'm not saying that she was that old. She wasn't like Sarah and Abraham, but she did not have a child. And uh, the Lord granted her wish. And she had said that if that the Lord gave her a man child, a boy, because in that culture, it was if you're only going to have one child, it was important to have a boy. And um, that she would dedicate him to the Lord and a razor would never touch his head. So she would never cut his hair. So that, and the Lord granted her wish her petition i should say not her wish and uh gave her samuel which became a prophet in the bible so samuel and hannah are the two kittens and then creamsicle has a secular name because he's when he was born we watch him watching him coming out of ali's womb and uh he i said he looks like a like a creamsicle like a cream cream creamsicle pop so that's why we call him creamy so creamy for short but they're doing very very well thank god a little bit too a little bit too well at the moment and uh we're still if i know a lot of a lot of you have reached out to me and we're still trusting that the lord will bring our beloved donald back home so we have not given up one iota of faith on that whatsoever that in god's time that he will bring him home to us so we've gotten a lot of people who claim they had seen sightings of him and i honestly think that they were not sightings but that's fine. We pursue every every lead that comes to us. So that is uh, that is basically it. And let me see what else is going on. Alrighty, we have a we have a new. I have a new. Not we. I have a new pin in my map, and that is thanks to Mister Justin. And I'm going to pronounce your name, sir, Tremelling. So it's T R E M E L L I N G. So Melling makes oil pumps. So I kind of know that name, but I think they spell Melling oil pumps with one L, but this has two L. So it's Justin Tremelling, and he is from Spring Green, Wisconsin. So thank you so much for listening and for blessing me with a pin in my map. And now he is entered to win a free, of course, it's free. I said it every week, Hot Rod Farmer license plate. So. Uh, thank you for listening, Mr. Tremelling, and for entering the contest. 
and we have two winners this week again always two winners and the first winner is a quasi neighbor a country neighbor six or seven maybe i don't know six or seven miles away and that is phyllis Semanchik. and they were dairy farmers and she is from alamuchie new jersey <clears throat> so phyllis i need for you to reach out to me <clears throat> and uh, give me your mailing address i know where you are believe it or not their farm is on shades of death road so uh but i i know where it is but i don't want to put it go right over there and stick it in your mailbox that's illegal i don't want to stick it under the windshield of your pickup truck but uh, so give me a shout out at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and i will get you that hot rod farmer license plate right in my own town and phyllis's father for many many years was actually the mayor of alamucci and uh, well, Willie Semanchik, William Semanchik, they call him Willie, obviously, they call him Mr. Semanchik or Mayor Semanchik. And then the other winner is uh, a little bit further away, Mr. Gene Stow, S T O U G H. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing your name correctly, sir. And he's from Shreveport, Louisiana, 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 down in Shreveport. They used to make S10s down. GM had a plant in Louisiana in Shreveport, and hopefully, God willing, they still do. And they, I know they, I know they made S10s there. Obviously, they made something else prior to that. I think the plant has been around for quite some time. So you too, Mr. Stow, reach out to me at Hot Rod Farm or at FarmMachineryDigest.com, and let me know where you want me to mail your Hot Rod Farm license plate. And I'd be so happy to bring that to the post office and get that out to you. And uh, within a couple of days, they host office has been delivering them uh basically on time so i'm very happy about that so that is that and then uh on today uh, i want to tell you something i don't want to say it on last week's show because i was afraid that ford may be listening they won't they won't listen this week but i had the two mavericks which if you listen to the podcast you know that, that I, they're fantastic vehicles i just love them if i were to buy one i would buy an xl uh, and hopefully they change it so I can get satellite radio in it. So mine would be a Cactus Gray XL Hybrid, and it would have uh, the only options would have hopefully Sirius Radio. They make that an option, and then uh, the the Ford installed spray-in bedliner. They have some kind of name for it. If you hear some noise, that's the kittens. Uh, spray-in bedliner at factory trailer hitch the serious radio and uh i think that's it uh yeah the spray and bedline the trailer hitch and there may be oh the, the keyless entry pad it's a hundred dollars so because in case you have a lock your keys in your car you have that excuse me so <clears throat> these new, the new on the xl the key is like a switchblade knife you press the button and the key pops out so it doesn't have a start button which i like i don't particularly care for those start buttons but anyway, let me see what's going on here. There's a lot of a lot of, a lot of kitten noise going on in the background. But anyway, so what happened was that when I had the first Maverick, which was the top of the line, the Lariat with the Lariat luxury package, which was the hybrid, not the EcoBoost, and um, I was planting corn, and I came back here to the house. And those of you who have listened may notice, and I'm not, I won't waste a lot of your time with it, but for about six or seven years now, a american black vulture and his spouse has have befriended me 
and we became wonderful friends and he comes here all the time and we i call him buzz short for buzzard even though he's not a buzzard he's a vulture but i call him buzz and i call his his spouse his bride buzzette and they've been coming here i would say at least five or six years and we feed him and there's i won't go into it but it's a a wonderful wonderful relationship and uh to tell you the truth he was uh, he was the one who actually showed me that Don was Donald was here as a kitten. I was planting cover crop and I came back to the house because I had my ranger here with the cover crop seed to load up this this the spreader I, I broadcast it on and I came down the driveway in a tractor and he's sitting higher in a tractor. I said, Why is Buzz and is everybody around in a circle? And that's where <clears throat> little baby which <clears throat> is me, Donald how a beloved Donald was as a tiny kitten. So, okay, we got a kitten, and then took me about two weeks to befriend him, and then he became ours. So Buzz and Buzzette, and they had two children they had, which we called Missy, which would look like a girl, and we called Junior, which looked like a boy. And sadly, Junior passed away right here at the farmhouse. I don't know what happened to him, but whatever. I won't get into that now. But anyway, um, so Buzz... <clears throat> Buzz was missing, went missing shortly after my Donald went missing. And um, Buzz was missing for the, probably the better part of a month or a little bit more. And we said, oh, I said, oh, my God. I said, you know, my my one hen died. Donald is missing. Buzz is missing. And uh, and Buzz would come every day. I mean, so it was, he was a regular for years. And if he didn't come one day, he came the next day three times. Sometimes he'd come in and stay for hours. But anyway, so I had the Maverick, and I came back uh, to the house with the corn planter, and I'm coming down the driveway, and that Maverick was the uh, Lariat luxury package. It was red. I think they, I forgot what the name they called it, but anyway, it was red. It was like a wineish red. It wasn't like a bright red. And I'm saying, what is that on the hood of the Maverick? So I said, oh, God. I said, what the heck is that on there? So I get all, jump off the tractor, and I look, and it's a piece of the lower part of the windshield molding. So I said, oh, I know who's here. Buzz. Buzz has an affinity to pull moldings off of cars. So when I, usually when I get a press vehicle, I don't park it by the farmhouse. I park it down in a cornfield because he takes, tries to take it apart. And uh, so I said to myself, I know what it is. That's a sign that he came back to show me that he's there. He took the lower molding off. And he placed it very nicely on the hood, so I knew that Buzz was okay, that he was back. And thank God these cars today are put together like a snap-in model. I was able to take it and snap the molding right in, and nobody knew the wiser. But that was Buzz's telltale to tell me that he's back home and he's safe. He took the molding off the new Maverick. So uh, that I didn't want to say that in last week's show because I want Ford to say, oh, you got, the, you got the animals attacking our our cars here years ago i had a solstice pontiac solstice and the wild turkeys attacked it so forget about that's a that's a story for another show but but anyway so that's how i knew buzz was here and i wanted this so the maverick is buzz approved all right so very very important to tell you that it's buzz approved because if buzz starts to take it apart he likes it all right so but and he's excellent because whenever he takes something off he leaves it he he likes the moldings around the windshield <clears throat> or anything on, on the roof or something. He likes to take that off, but he always leaves it on the hood so you could put it back. And he's never broken anything, so he just leaves it there. And that is his uh, <clears throat> that is the hallmark of the buzzard. 
But on today's show, what I'm going to do, then again, something I guess a little bit different. I say that all the time, but I want to try to mix this up and make it interesting and of a value for you. But I, I received a letter, and it's the letter is uh, it's two pages. It's typed. It, it reads very easily. And I'm going to share the letter with you. And it's a question about engine building and engine assembly and machine work and buying parts. And I really think it's it's a, it's a timely letter simply because in the agricultural community that there is so much trouble and also, you know, in other aspects of business, but so much trouble getting newer equipment. And you may decide that you say, I have a older whatever maybe a tractor or a truck or something like that or maybe a sprayer and you say well i think that what i'm going to do is i'm going to rebuild the engine on it or put some money into it to some different level or you may have let's say uh an engine on a seed tender or anything else a lawn tractor or irrigation pump and you say well geez i can't really get a new one for whatever the reason is and i'm going to go through this and i'm going to rebuild it obviously if you're going to do an irrigation pump or something like that you're not going to do it right now in the middle of the season but whatever but like i said this is and the questions that this person asked would would be a would be something that the average the av- the in the average individual <clears throat> for me to say it succinctly would be thinking in their mind if they were going to accomplish this task and not coming from the industry. And what I mean by that is that so you could have a big, beautiful farm shop, be very, very experienced on on, on fixing your equipment and working on your equipment, but you have a different mindset than somebody who came and did it all day long. And that different mindset, different thought process. And when you do something all just like somebody somebody plants a, a few acres versus a thousand acres, the person with a thousand acres has a different perspective on things than a person planting a few acres or vice versa. So, uh, I think it's a timely letter, and I think it's something for you to keep in the back of your mind, even if you never plan on rebuilding anything yourself, but having it rebuilt. So this is just, so everything I'm going to be talking about today is just as appropriate for if you were to go bring an engine to town to a machine shop and say, hey, I want you to go through this and rebuild it, versus you were going to, you were going to do the, do the rebuild yourself, right? So, uh, and so let me get into his letter now. What I did do is I did change his name. So I'm not going to give you his real name or his location of where he wrote from. And uh, and you'll see at the end of the letter. So he writes, Dear Mr. Bohax, my name is Ron. And like I said, that is not his name. He gave me his first and last name. And I have always enjoyed the car hobby ever since I got my driver's license. Now you can replace car hobby with working on engines and machinery. All right. I enjoy working on my cars and doing maintenance as well as modifications to get the most out of my cars. Being from the 80s generation, I gravitate to cars of the 80s, such as the Fox Body Mustangs and the G-Body General Motors cars, and pretty much all the styles since. Looking back, I really loved my 89 Mustang LX50 and my 86 Grand National, which I mildly modified to go 1160s in the quarter mile, which I was proud of. So that so he, he had a nice little street strip car. And for those of you who may not be, you know, uh, familiar with drag race, that's a pretty that's a pretty that's a nice running street car, 1160s, 11.60 seconds in the quarter mile. My question is that when I read my car magazines, especially my favorite Hemmings Muscle Machines, uh, 
as well as watch on TV the shows where they fix and modify cars, I always see how meticulously they are when it comes to engine builds. A lot of time is spent checking and double-checking their work and the tolerances and clearances of all the parts, especially if it is a brand-new engine build with a new block and all associated internal parts as well. So this is really what we got into there is the core of this letter. I have never built a new engine from scratch, but I plan on doing so, which to me would be very satisfying and gratifying to successfully complete but if I bought everything brand new from, say, Ford with a factory aligned bore, new standard bore block, all prepped and ready for installing the new parts, either factory or aftermarket, all matched to the standard bore block, wouldn't these brand new parts all fit almost perfectly since they are all machined within certain tolerances for the build? Do I really need to get a dial indicator and feel a gauge and plastic gauge to double check expensive high performance parts that are made to fit together? I understand the importance of using certain tools for the build and making sure all the bolts or studs are torqued, torqued and sequenced and lubricated correctly, but why do some guys on a new engine build get out the plastic gauge to put on the main bearings, install the crank, torque everything down, remove everything to see, I got the other page of the letter here, to see how much the material flattened. Can't I trust the manufacturers that these expensive brand new parts will fit correctly the first time? And then I don't ever read or see on TV where after all the checking, the parts do not fit. So what do you do if they don't fit? Does this mean the part is defective? Like I said, I've never did a complete engine build, but if all the parts are made to a certain specification, they should go together. I realize everything must be surgically clean in some cases, deburring some edges may be needed. But I would hope everything fits like a big model kit. Rebuilding an engine is a totally different story, and I would seem to need all the extra care of going over everything a few times. But I hope to buy everything brand new with a new block and all the internals and see it go together without any major problems. As for me, please read this letter with an open mind and ignore the fact that I am currently in prison. I made a mistake and I am nearing the end of my punishment and please know that no one was ever harmed in my crime. I made my mistakes because of my addiction to opiates. When I do go home, I am dedicating time to speak to the youth of society about addiction and use, and use my life as a model of what not to do. If I can save someone from the grips of addiction and spare them for what I am going through, then it would be worth it. Thank you for your time and for the great magazine that I look forward to receiving each month. Respectfully, Ron. <clears throat> so I, I, as an aside before I answer, well, use Ron's letter as a catalyst for um, the show today, is that I, over the years, I do receive a lot of letters from prisoners, and I always do my best to get them published in the magazine or respond to them directly if that is possible. Uh, sometimes the handwriting is very poor, so I can't get their, they get their address. Uh, but in this particular case, what I am going to do is I'm going to contact Ron and uh, give him a response, and I'm going to also tell him I do not know whether 
they allow them to go on the internet in the, in the prison or the prison that he is in. They do that. So hopefully, God willing, he could hear this episode and he will understand ahead of time that out of respect to him, that I did not want to use his name or the location of the prison. So uh, we have a little bit of an issue here because Samuel is heading towards the soundboard. And that's not good. Come on, Samuel. Go back down. Go, go, go. All right. So... Um, they like to walk on it and press the buttons because it all lights up and it's flashing as you talk and the meters are moving. So it's very, very intriguing for kittens. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so to, to answer this question, because I'm sure a lot of you have a similar question, maybe in a different context, in, in your mind about, uh, let me get this kitten here, come over here. This was not what I had planned on doing. Go on, go on, go on, go on. No, it's... Come on, come on, come on, thank you, go over there. So uh, that we're going to talk about two different things here because that's basically in essence what he talks about. Now, the fact of the matter is that there's two ways, and his thought process, Ron's thought process of saying, well, if I buy everything new and I, buy, I order the right parts and it's supposed to be the right size and the machining is supposed to be right and everything is supposed to be right, that it should just go go together and there's nothing wrong with that thought process the only thing is that lots of times that is not the case now what he made a reference to is that he is that he's saying he's going to use ford as a reference that he's going to buy a new block from ford and it's all going to be machined and he's going to buy either ford parts or high quality aftermarket parts and he's gonna and he's gonna put it all together that way. So in theory, that you would be a hundred percent correct. That he would be a hundred percent correct. So if you went, let's remove. So if you have a a Ford truck on the farm, let's talk about. He's referencing a Mustang, but it makes no difference if it's an F one fifty or you have a John Deere tractor. If you have a Case tractor, and you were to buy a a block, let's say arguably that you could. I mean, respectfully. To, to to this gentleman's letter i don't know whether he could buy the block that he wants to buy anymore but but let's but we'll forget about that, but let's assume that you can and you bought a block that's supposed to be all machined to the sta to standard sizes where they tell you what size that you need 30 over pistons or what have you and you put it together in theory you would not have to check it all right but anybody <clears throat> anybody who's built a more than one engine <clears throat> excuse me more than one engine will know that you're probably better off checking things and because if something is wrong and you put the engine together and don't check anything it is going to be a lot of work to to try to correct that or once you find out that something's wrong and the engine is in the application be it a truck a grain truck a pickup truck a tractor whatever it may be that it's not it, it's a, it's a lot of work to get it back apart and to f determine what's going on. So the first thing that I will be addressing is that you cannot assume that everything is machined properly. All right. Now, if you're buying it from an OE manufacturer, let's say you're buying a, a remand block from John Deere, then the, the likelihood of it not being machined being machined correctly um, uh hannah's fighting with with i don't know if you hear that hannah's fighting with creamy um being machined correctly is very unlikely 
But at that particular point, you have both the financial and physical time exposure of going there and saying, well, I put, I put this engine together and I put it in this tractor and I, you know, I have to split the tractor to take it out and I put it back in there and now it has a problem. It's knocking or it has a low oil pressure or whatever it may possibly be or it's leaking out of the rear main sealed. So at that particular point, when you're buying something, the best case scenario would be whoever you bought it from a company and say, okay, fine, yeah, all right, well, take it out and we'll give you another one. Well, you know, taking it out, all right, you know, you know give me another one. Well, that's fine, but I got, you know, three days worth of labor and $500 worth of gaskets and, and oil and everything in this thing, and you're going to tell me that you're just going to give me another one. That really doesn't, that doesn't really uh, bode too well. So it pays for you to start to check things and and within reason when you put it together now what he was talking about what ron was talking about is that when you custom build an engine you usually do what's called a pre-assembly so you measure everything on the block you measure all of the parts and then you put it together and then you do further measurements when it's together and what he was talking about with plastic gauge if you're not familiar with probably most of you are it's a material that you put between the bearings and you tighten the tighten the main cap and the rod cap up so that you crush it and then you take it out and you measure the plastic gauge all right so the thing basically is is that there's other ways to do it but we won't get that in we won't get into that right now so the important thing basically is that you have to look at whether you want the financial and time exposure to trust that it is what it is so it would be akin to saying even though maybe it's a poor analogy that you don't look on the seed bag to see if it's actually the seed that you wanted or bought or you take a an oil filter out of a box and put it on an engine and don't look at to see if it's the right part number or what have you so that so that is the the one part of it now the other part of it is that What's confusing to many is that you say, when they build an engine in a factory, do they do this? Well, they do, but they don't because they have complete control over the process. So they know what the what the block is bored to. They know what the line bores. They know what the bearing clearance is. And if it is not what it's supposed to be, then that, that block, we use that as an engine block as an example, that crank goes to a different sideline and is marked. It could be marked with a paint pen. It could be marked with something. And they'll say, okay, this is 10. This crank got screwed up when we cut it. So this has, so now it's 10 under and we have to put the bearings in for 10 under. All right. So, so they, they recognize that. And as machining got more advanced and the, and not saying that they didn't have that they don't have any problems today and they had more not saying that they had more problems years ago but that that is taken care of on the through the manufacturing process so if it is out of tolerance they they sideline it they don't take it and throw it in the garbage unless for some reason it's, it's all messed up they don't throw it in the garbage but then it goes to a separate line and it it, it, it is fitted properly but for the most part they know that everything is machined to specifications and they put the engine together now i'm, I'm bouncing all around because it's hard for me to succinctly establish this to you so i'm going to work under the assumption that you are, you are going to buy 
this machine work and by the assembly of the engine so you have an engine in an old in a hay barn you have an engine in an old grain truck and an irrigation pump and you're saying well let's put some money into this and let's get this thing freshened up rebuilt and we're going to go from there and and all you're going to do is r and r you're going to pull it out and put it back in now when you build a performance engine or when when you build any engine but if you build a performance engine you're going to go through and check everything and years ago they used to call this blueprinting you really don't see that in the magazines anymore or the magazines don't even exist used to be in magazines like hot rod and car craft or drag illustrated oh blueprinting the chevy 427 blueprinting the ford 351 and you would go and check everything and they and it would fall under the guise of blueprinting and then based upon what you found with your dimensions uh sometimes now ron had said in the letter what if the part is well the part can be wrong and for instance lots of times like the thrust bearing on a crank you're going to check the thrust on the crank and if the crank the thrust is wrong you may take something like a scotch bright and you may may doll up the thrust bearing or you may actually get a different thrust bearing because you don't like the way the thrust is on the crank so the movement of free play on the crank so that is very very common now on a production engine rebuild in most instances what they will do is that they will they will have the the, know what the dimensions are and they will take the parts out of the box assuming that the parts are correct and they will put them in there and i'm not going to say the word slap it together but they will slap it they'll, they'll put it together working under the assumption that everything is correct and that is why <clears throat> it's very hard excuse me i'm gonna <clears throat> just clear my throat for a second <clears throat> it's very hard for a small engine shop to compete with a big rebuilder because the rebuilder is doing the machine work and they're buying parts they're buying whatever bearings from from clevite they're buying rings from from whatever hastings whoever makes rings and they're not going and they're not measuring everything so they're working under the assumption that everything is correct and they're just putting it together now when you put an engine together that way you're going to put it together 10 to 20 times quicker than you would if you were going and measuring and checking all the ring gaps checking this checking the checking all the bearing clearances checking the thrust on the crank checking the valve spring pressure doing everything so so that is the price differential so if you go to so if you so if you're looking to have an engine rebuilt and let's we'll pick on one thing so let's say it's for for a a, int, a uh, spark ignition engine for an irrigation pump whatever 460 ford and you decided to get this rebuilt and you bring it to a shop in town to to go through the engine and rebuild it the fact of the matter is that is where there is a such a wide discrepancy in what they are going to do because they may take the engine they may take the engine apart they may use a ball hone on the cylinders keep the old pistons fit some new rings to it maybe do some other things and they're gonna they're gonna consider that a freshener rebuild throw some new bearings in and for the most part they probably will do some quick measurements on something but it's gonna be akin to changing spark plugs and engine you take the spark plug out of the box you're gonna check the gap on it 
And then what you're going to basically do is put it in there and, and, and start the engine up and send it, send it down the road. So, or you could take the engine apart and you could do, because this is a used engine, Ron was talking about a new block, and you could do all the machine work on it. So you would check all the bores, you would magnaflux it, you would bore the block and then hone it. You would, you would, al- you would align hone the block. All right, you would go through this, or you would balance the rotating assembly, you would balance the crank. So, there's all different levels, and then once you get into those procedures, there's all different levels that you could take it to. So, you could you could crudely balance the rotating assembly, or you could balance it, you could do a very fine balance. And the same thing happens like if you have a turbocharger rebuilt. You know what level is the balance going to on the on 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 the, on the turbocharger? So all of this comes into play, and the more steps that you put in, and the more accurate that you make it, and bring it to a tighter tolerance, the more time that is involved, the more machining that is involved, and then the cost goes up exponentially. And that is why I'm a big proponent. If you're going to buy an engine, right, uh, that that if you're going to do something on an engine and that it's often better to buy a new engine or a factory remanufactured engine because if you were to go to a company like John Deere, Ford Motor Company, General Motors, they have these reman practices down where they're almost doing it like a new engine. So it's not, they do all the machining procedures, they do all the measurements and they have it I'm not going to. I'm not going to use the word mechanized. I guess, for lack of better terms, but their procedures use so much equipment, and it's done so quickly and accurately. So they take a lot of the tech, a lot of the technology that they use to build a new engine, and they take that onto the reman side, right? And they and they're able to apply this. So in essence, we'll make an agrarian analogy: is that let's say that I have a two-row planter, which I do because I plant small plots. My two-row planter, and I have, um, I want to farm a 1,000 acres. Can I plant a 1,000 acres with a two-row planter? Sure, I could, but I better spend a lot, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on that on on that tractor. Now, my this other guy comes in, a custom a custom uh, applicator, a custom farming guy, and he has a 10-row a, a or 12-row planter, right? And he could plant the 10 miles an hour. Well, you know, is he going to plant that eight, that thousand acres a lot quicker than I can in my two, my two row planter? Of course he can, and is it potential? And he's got he's got down pressure. He's got all these different things. He's got all the latest technology on that planter, so he's able to actually do a better job of planting my crop, metaphorically, with that planter because of because of all of the equipment he has on it all the features he has on it versus my planter and he also has a much bigger planter and he has a tractor and a planter that could plant at 10 miles per hour versus two or three miles per hour so in essence that's what i'm trying to get at here is that i'm drifting from ron's letter but you have to realize that if you are at that point where you want to make a decision, and in the industry we call it to repower something. So you want to repower this tractor. You want to repower this sprayer. You want to repower this um, seed tender, 
whatever it may be, this irrigation pump. So what you what the term repower means is you're take you're retaining the core of whatever that piece of equipment or that vehicle is, and you're transplanting a different heart into it. So that different heart may be a brand new heart and a brand new engine being that everything is new, or it may be a remanufactured engine where it has some old and some new parts in it. All right. But it's so it's almost impossible unless you want to go and say to yourself that I have, you know, I took the pride in doing this and I put it all together and I did this myself and I went to town, I bought the machine work and that's, that's all fine. But what you need to do is if you're going to do it that way, you need to really perform a lot of due diligence and find out what the machine shop is going to do to those components whether it's a cylinder head whether it's a block whether it's a rotating assembly or if it's the whole entire engine so all of those areas are going to come into are going to come into play also so you need to spend some time and talk to them and say okay what are you doing to the cylinder head are you pressure checking the cylinder head? are you decking it are you going to are you going to uh, uh, what type of valve job are you going to do what are you using for your valve job now obviously if you're not building a race engine a lot of this stuff isn't as critical but it is think of it as seed <clears throat> as seed to soil contact with a plant right if you're planting a garden or you're planting ten thousand acres that seed to soil contact to get that seed to to germinate and then emerge is just as critical in a in a flower pot as it is in a ten thousand acre field all right so so when it comes to engine building and engine machining, it's just as critical for all of those tolerances and those parts to fit properly, whether it's on a seed tender engine or on a combine or a semi or anything in between. It's just that you're moving, you have more decimals, the price of the parts, the price of the equipment, the price of the job is much higher. But you can't say, well, I don't give a damn about bearing clearance on my seed tender engine. Well, because it's going to lock up and it's not, <laughs> not going to tender any seed. Or you can say, I only care I only care about ring seal on my, my combine. I don't care about ring seal on my pickup truck or my irrigation engine or my semi. Well, then you're going to have, depending upon the, how bad the ring seal is, you're going to have inefficiencies. You may burn oil. You may smoke. All right. You're going to be down on power, down on fuel economy. So all those things come into play. So it's very, very important for you to recognize that. So now to get back to Ron's letter is that if you don't check that and you assume that it's all correct then your your time and your money is the insurance policy and if you put it together i mean for instance i was years ago i had an old s10 it was a junk box old four-cylinder s10 and i made the decision before i got into business that we're going to rebuild the engine and go through and do it right all right so i we did all of that and then i had my friend do the machine work we i put it together in the shop and you know i didn't put it and i put it together and i checked everything maybe not to the level i would on a race engine all right but i did check everything so we it was only four cylinder measured all the pistons measured all the bores measured the bearing clearance all right we checked that all right which i checked one one main cap and one rod all right i didn't check four of them because i so and and the thing is that was it 
was it half-assed? No, pardon my language. It wasn't half-assed. But at that particular point, I said, well, I need to get this engine together. I had I, I trusted who did the machine work. Uh, my friend of mine did the machine work. I bought high-quality parts. I checked some of the parts. Everything looked good, put it together, and ran for another 200,000 miles and went to the junkyard. All right, so it was, a, it was 100% fine in that particular instance. All right, but the fact of the matter is that that engine was also never really stressed. It was a little four-cylinder S10. Yeah, I would take a load in it and go to get fertilizer or something for the farm. But basically, it was only making us, for the, for the, the 200,000 miles that I drove it afterwards, it was probably only making 10 to 15 or 20% of its potential power all of the time because if you're going down the road at 65 miles per hour maybe the truck only needed 25 horsepower to do that all right now if you take an engine that's in a semi you take an engine that's in a in a, a combine that's in a sprayer that's on an irrigation pump or even an irrigation pump if you have a marginally sized engine and you're putting a load on that thing is always working so now any any uh any skewing of the tolerances or anything in the parts that is that is on the higher end or the lower end of the specification becomes very apparent based upon the use because if you're putting a lot of constant cylinder pressure on the piston and on the rods and on the crank you're putting a lot of cylinder pressure against the rings is that if it's not as machined as properly then it is going to start to I don't want to say it's going to fail. It's it's going to be the weak chain in the link. So you have to keep that in mind. But to try to put some sort of closure to this and to, and to put closure to Ron is that if you want to do the job correctly, then you're going to need to go and measure everything and, and, to, and to some extent. And... <clears throat> And that probably doesn't even sound like a professional sense measures everything and to some extent you're going to need to confirm everything because you want to make sure it's right because you're putting it together and you want it to be correct and do not and we have a we have a saying in this business if it comes in a box it's usually screwed up and that very very often is the case so you want to do that now the thing is that it's very important for you to have faith in the whoever is did the machine work and the machine work may be somebody you don't know because you're buying it from john deere so if you're buying the block from john deere and it's supposed to be a machine block 30 over or whatever for you to put together then the thing is that that even though i would check it i would definitely check it but i would be i would check it with a higher level of confidence if that makes sense is that i may not go to the nth degree now if you're buying it from from a place in town that you never did any business with before then i would i would check it to a higher level so i would make sure that everything was right where it was supposed to be which is going to be a lot of time on your part so you're going to have to try you're going to have to try to balance that out but if you can have faith then let's say if you bought three engines from john deere and they were all very good well the machine work was very good that doesn't necessarily mean the fourth engine was very good but human nature being what it is is that you'd probably get a little bit sloppier with checking things and just making the assumption that that it is that it is all what it is supposed to be coming i've got samuel taking him off the desk all right so um and so that is that and that's why 
it's it has to be a labor of love unless it's an, an engine that you cannot get anything for that you can't find a a, a factory reman or something or a brand new replacement crate type of engine so it's it's so costly today to properly rebuild an engine and do all the machine work you're gonna have thousands of dollars into the machine work let alone the parts and the assembly afterwards and it, it gets to be a problem so you really look for those economies of scale from a bigger high quality rebuilder remanufacturer who could do the proper hone who could do the proper align bore and it's not taking him a lot of time and a lot of effort to do it and they do it they and they have the the tooling for it they have everything for it i, I have to get the hold on for a second to get this cat let me let me uh, let me put on the drag stuff okay that's the dragster cat <laughs> so uh so i don't know if this made any sense to you but it's it, you know it's the same thing of like going in the field with your planter you go in your field with your plant you could set everything you say oh it's good enough uh, the, you know, the corn will come up and then this one comes up three days later a week later and the planter is riding up and down and and it, it is uh, the spacing is wrong and everything is wrong yeah is there corn in the field there's definitely there's definitely corn in the field but the fact of the matter is, is that going to be a high yield crop? Most likely not because of the tolerances and the inconsistency of the planting. And the same thing happens, same thing happens with an engine is that you really, and the machine work is is so, is, is foundational, like laying the foundation for a house or for a building or, or planting a seed in the ground that if then machine work is off then no matter what you do you could do the best assembly in the world you could have the cleanest you ever work in a clean room the best accurate torque wrench you make love to the rest of the engine but if you do not have the proper seed bed to plant that seed or a crooked foundation on the house or the building that you're putting up then everything else is going to skew from there and that is why sadly uh a lot of people are getting away from remanufacturing engines and doing doing things of that nature because once you start to do the machine work do the testing do the measurements do everything it gets now pushes the price up so high that unless a new one is five or six times the price it usually doesn't doesn't pay for you <laughs> i'm just laughing because i thought these kittens would have gone to bed but no i got creamy here no no creamy you can't get on the podcast so that is basically it all right so what i'm going to do is i'm going to do that i'm going to put this here over here i'm going to try to get them to go go on the floor get them get them off creamy's climbing up my back which is not too good <laughs> creamy you were supposed to you guys were supposed to go to bed a couple hours ago all righty so that is that now we do have another letter and it's um then again it's a car letter but it could be very appropriate i wanted to to use this a while back and i hope i didn't use it because i put it in my file that i was going to use it but i didn't i think i was going to use it the day i didn't feel well and uh and that kind of fell fell by the wayside I, I don't mind me and this this cat is very 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 uh, uh persistent this kitten and doing what he wants so since we're going to have a special delivery letter we got to bring in tex rubinowitz so come on in tex well i'm a rolling daddy with a mean machine it's got to be a 
I'm a hot rod man. Yeah, I'm a hot rod man. Look out, little mama gonna get you. Gary yeah, Texan, he's from Ripsaw Records. Thank you so much. So, um, I don't know, this name, I, I may have shared this letter with you before, but... So, anyway, uh, the person's name is Richard Nixon, believe it or not. I'm not laughing. And uh, he said, I, and take this, and if I share this with you, please please forgive me, because the past month or so, I haven't been hitting on all cylinders. So, he says, I recently purchased a 1969 AMC Javelin with only 27,000 miles on it. It has a 290 cubic inch engine and automatic transmission. When I first started, I can hear the engine miss, but after it warms up, the miss goes away. It also pings when I accelerate. Is it possible that the miss and the pinging are part of the same problem? I have taken it to three different mechanics to see if they could repair the engine miss and detonation slash ping sound as I drive, but none of them have been been able to. I only use Sunoco Super Gasoline, and I've also tried Lucas Octane Booster and a product called Octane Supreme to increase the octane, but the engine still pings. Any assistance you could provide would be greatly appreciated. Forget about it being a 69 Javelin, all right? All right, forget about that because it doesn't make any difference what it is. This is an old grain truck. This is an old pickup truck. This is what have you. If you have, a, if you have an engine that's, well, first of all, in this particular instance, a 1969 anything is extremely simplistic. And if you can, but today's modern mechanics have no idea how to work on a carburetor for the most part. I'm not saying there's no one out there or to work on a distributor with breaker points. All right. So it's, you might as well give them a flying saucer and, uh, and, and uh, they'd be probably better chances of fixing a flying saucer because they'd look for some sort of computer thing to put in there. So the idea that he's gone to three mechanics and they can't fix this is a sad scenario but it's the reality of life today, all right? Now, what I'm looking at here is that this engine probably is very carbon-laden. It's 1969, so even it was 1989 or 1999, so 1999 Chevy pickup truck with 27,000 miles, it's probably very carbon-laden, and that is most likely the largest impetus for his pinging problem. Now, he also says that it misses when it goes away. Now, I don't know what he means by misfiring when it, it misses when it's cold. That could be a choke problem. Uh, it could be the choke loading up. It could be, uh, I doubt very much if it's ignition because the richer the mixture, the the easier it is to ignite. So that's usually not a problem. But the fact of the matter here is that Mr. Nixon that you are simply going to the wrong person. And if I had my, if I would have to guess, and and if I were a gambling man, but then I say I'm a farmer, so I'm always a gambling man, right? But I, I always tell, say that I gamble on the Lord blessing my crop. But after I do what I'm supposed to do, not just sit, sit around and do nothing, and say, oh, Lord, bless my crop, is that I would say there's a combination of problems with this, with this engine, and none of them are serious whatsoever. I would say it's it's carbon laden with a lot of carbon. I would say that the timing curve is probably wrong, or even the weights in the distributor are stuck, or they could be stuck out, or the springs rotted after so many years, and that the carburetor needs to be adjusted or possibly gone through and be regasket and cleaned inside. So I feel it's a combination of 
of carbon in the engine causing the pinging. It's a combination of it's a combination of of fuel delivery as far as the carburetor is concerned and most likely it's a, it also a combination of the timing curve being wrong and uh just not not being set right for today's gasoline and for all of the other uh, dynamics that are going on so that is that is it but you know keep in mind that if you have an older engine and on the farm or you have something like that then uh you're going to my monitor, so I'm grabbing Samuel here. That uh, that you have to look at the amount of use. Uh, so even if you have an old farm tractor, and that's why I like t- lots of times I like to use these letters in my sh- in the show. And you say, well, yeah, it's for a '69 AMX. It doesn't make any difference if it's a 1969 AMX or a 1969 Ford farm tractor with a gas engine in it. It doesn't know the difference, or right? the dynamics are exactly the same. So if you look at an engine and you look at an application has very low hours and a lot of cl- a, a, a lot of calendar time. I mean, it's, it's old, a lot of that it's years old, very low hours, and it went through a lot of cold start cycles, it went through a lot of short trip cycles, all right, or, you know, somebody had it and they, they, they just they used they, to do a little bit of mowing or what have you, is that those engines are usually very, very loaded with carbon and they actually age internally, I'm not saying that they need to be rebuilt, they age internally at a much higher rate than something that is used and goes through from a cold start to a complete warm-up and limits the amount of cold starts and warm-up what we call intermediate stage cycles so i mean especially with 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 gasoline stuff because you have that rich mixture when it's cold and you know with and carbureted stuff even injected but carbureted stuff specifically and you're washing the oil off the cylinder walls and if the choke isn't set right or if you have a older farm tractor with a hand choke and the carburetor is kind of messed up and you're riding it with the choke pulled out a little bit and a real rich air fuel ratio i mean you're you're glazing over the cylinder there's a lot of dynamics that are going on there but you have to look at it and you have to say and you have to look at it piecemeal and say what's going on here what are the dynamics that establish this and then let's try to work through it but it's i'm not saying this engine needs to be rebuilt you could chemically remove the carbon and i would find someone who knows how to adjust the carburetor and adjust the distributor but adjusting the distributor doesn't mean just twisting it it means you have to check the spark advance curve and so many older gasoline farm tractors that the spark advance curve is wrong on them because the weights are stuck or the springs are broken and they're swinging right out and what have you or the the weights or the cam the 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 the, the cam the advance mechanism because if you have an old gasoline farm tractor it's the same thing it's got it's got advance so it's it's a little, looks different than in a car there's no vacuum advance because there's no vacuum it doesn't look at that but the centrifugal advance is the same and you know people don't look at that they set the timing at idle or whatever the specification is and they and they leave it from there so listen i want to thank you so much for tuning in a little bit of a different show today it may not have been what what you had hoped for and hopefully it is but I hope you have a better understanding of what's going on as far as engine machining and assembly and why it's so important for you to check everything. And I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day, and thank you so much. And next week, no kittens. Bye-bye. <laughs>